The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta and I'm joined here by Chris Flum. And today we are going to be previewing some of the Senior Bowl. That's what's going on in in draft circles this week. Everybody's heading down to Mobile, Alabama. We've got a whole week of practice and then a game this weekend. The game means much less to most of of the scouts and executives that are going to be there than the practices do. So they are going to get started this week and we are just going to preview some things that, that you might hear down there, what we're looking for down there. We're going to spend a decent amount talking about the quarterbacks because you know if you're the Giants that's probably what you should be looking at down there um, and then we're going to talk about just a couple of other players that that we're going to be interested to see how they play down there so are you ready to dive into some senior bowl prospects there Chris oh absolutely all right so well let's do that and so we said we're going to to focus on the quarterbacks and that you know should be where the Giants are are focusing when they're down there but I think this is I'm not sure how interesting this group of quarterbacks is I think I saw somewhere it might have been like Todd McShay who said like this is the most talented class uh they've had in Mobile like ever and uh, that just that can't be true I mean last year had Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen then as whatever you want to think about Josh Allen, I don't think any of these guys are are going, I don't think two of these guys are going in the top 10 this year. I Let's just be honest. Just having Baker Mayfield puts last year's Senior Bowl roster ahead of this one. Altogether, obviously, because Baker Mayfield is the greatest ever. Yeah, the I rest mean, of the world just hasn't caught up with that fact yet. There's no one player in this quarterback group who really... I don't think has the case to be a QB1 in this draft. I think that's either going to be Dwayne Haskins or Kyler Murray, depending on where you stand. Uh, I don't think anyone is going to be ranking any of these guys as, as the first quarterback who should be selected. But there are some interesting things uh, about some of these guys, uh, I guess. But and these these aren't the the standout guys. It's it's not going to be the ones 
a lot of GMs, I think, or fans really even, are going to be pounding the table for. But I think because there's going to be so much focus there on this group this week, and because there is no Haskins there, there is no Murray there, these guys kind of have a chance to to show what they could possibly be this week. Yeah, this is a chance for them to kind of shine on their own outside of the shadow of the underclassmen and really start developing some momentum for themselves and really impress coaches and scouts firsthand because they're all going to be there. We've seen that from the Giants the past two years. I mean, it's two different regimes now, but Davis Webb was down there. Uh, He impressed in practices, impressed in the game. The Giants drafted him last year. That was Kyle Walletta. He apparently impressed in practices. He was the MVP of the game, uh, and the Giants drafted him. So I'm not sure if drafting another decent or so quarterback in the third or fourth round is the way to go about upgrading at quarterback again. But I think we've seen from the past two drafts, this is something the Giants are going to look at. It's definitely an option of theirs. Probably their best option is to hope that Dwayne Haskins falls to them at six because they probably don't have the ammo or the inclination to move up and secure him. And there will be trades in the top five. It's just going to happen. We don't know who, we don't know what, but they're going to happen. I guess maybe their second best hope is that somebody trades past them and drafts Kyler Murray and Haskins falls to them. From there, I think they're, maybe their third best option is to pick, wait and pick somebody in the fourth and just get get another scratch off and maybe hope they can hit the quarterback lottery before they absolutely have to make a move because Eli has retired. All of that is going to be interesting to see how it's going to play out um, because I, I think there is that just clear top two probably in this class and, and we don't really know, you know how desperate some teams are going to be to move up to get them we don't know how much they're going to maybe fall in love with some of these other guys and I think that's what this week might potentially show so let's talk about some of the specific guys that are going to be down there so this is a group that changed a little bit over the past week so the quarterbacks going to be down there are Will Greer uh, from West Virginia, Ryan Finley from North Carolina State, Gardner Minshew from Washington State, Drew Locke from Missouri, Jared Stidham from Auburn, Daniel Jones from Duke, Trace McSorley from Penn State, and Tyree Jackson from Buffalo. Is is there anyone that stands out to you in that group, Chris? I would say there's guys that I am looking to see something from. Maybe not guys who again, like Baker last year, just leap out and say, yeah, this is this is a guy I'm looking forward to watching. But there are some guys that I want I want to see how they do in practices, and I want to see, see how they play in the game with new teammates, guys they've never played with before in an, in a, an NFL system, well, kind of sort of more or less, NFL system coached by NFL coaches. I would say... This is a name we're going to be probably sick of by the time April 25th rolls rolls around, but Jones from Duke is probably the top guy everyone's going to to be talking about in connection to the Giants. He has 
obviously been coached by David Cutcliffe, who coached both Peyton and Eli Manning. He's been a frequent attendee to the Manning Passing Academy as a quarterback and as a counselor. Also, I'd like to see some from uh, Gardner Minshew. I watched him when I was doing my prospect profile on Andre Dillard, and he is... He is interesting, I'll say. Yeah, he is someone that I think when we, when we talk about some of these guys who have played in, in a spread system and how that's going to translate, I think there's more pro concepts in those spread systems than a lot of people give credit to. But I think Minshew is is maybe slightly different because uh, the Washington State offense uh, under uh, Mike Leach is is very spread and very air raid. So yeah. I think that, yeah, that might be... He turns that up to 11 right there. Yeah, that might be an understatement. So to see how he is going to translate into a more pro style and again we use pro style very loosely i don't think that means anything anymore that the phrase has lost all meaning um it's thrown out in so many different ways but i think Minshew in in that very air raid system is and that might be the biggest transition here and and looking he was helped a lot just from how the offense was uh, yards after the catch. That was basically what the the Washington State offense was was based around, and only thirty nine point five percent of his com- total passing yards came through the air. So uh, he almost had a sixty forty split between yards after the catch and yards through the air, and that's one of the biggest. Uh, among all these quarterbacks, the only one at the Senior Bowl who is lower is Jared Stidham, who only had 32% of his yards through the air. And this is all through Sports Info Solutions charting. So I'm going to be interested to see, yeah, how Minshew translates into more routes that develop downfield and, and some more NFL-type routes. Agreed. I don't think arm strength is a problem for him. No. I saw him you know, reach downfield fairly easily. And even as spread out as that offense is, he did challenge coverages on occasion. And while there were some where you can just go, why did you do that? Why? There were some other throws that, you know, make your eyebrows go up and say, wow, how did you do that? So that's why I say he's interesting. Then there's also the guys that, you kind of came into the year a little excited about and just left wanting a little bit more, which which those guys is definitely Drew Locke and Will Greer. Yeah, they're interesting cases because they had the claim, I guess, before the season. I mean, because this is also before Dwayne Haskins ever played or before Kyler Murray ever played. So those were two guys or who just were... Herbert. Those were two guys who were talked about as the possible you know, QB1 in this class. Both of them kind of disappointed, I guess is fair to say. I don't, neither one of them really did enough to, to go out and claim uh, what they were doing. I it, Personally, I like Greer a little more than Locke. I think Greer's a little more accurate. I think his, his production was uh, better. And I think they, they both have times when you're watching to go, what? what was that decision, but I think Greer makes up for that more at the top end of his game than Locke does. Agreed, and just from a mechanical point of view, I think Greer is probably, might be a little bit more consistent with his 
mechanics, I've seen some throws from Locke where, kind of like Josh Allen last year, his feet would be pointing in one direction, the rest of him in another direction, and then look a little bit confused why the ball would sail off target. But also, like, Josh Allen and uh, Sam Donald, he's got arm strength for days, and that's going to get everybody excited when he just opens it up and lets it rip on you know, post-corner-and-go routes during practice. Kind of talking about these guys and what their difference is, I've, I've been playing around with some of the Sports Info Solutions charting, and I've kind of I've broken down each of these quarterbacks just by the route they threw and how accurate they were on these routes and how productive they were on these routes. And, and hopefully I'll have something uh, actually written of that up soon. But as I'm just kind of previewing through these numbers, uh, in accuracy, Greer had the third best average rank in accuracy on all these routes. I, I took 10, 10 routes that you're going to see in the NFL game. Uh, Greer was uh, third on average in accuracy. Locke among the 14 guys was 11th. So so that's that's a big difference. And if we look at some of these other guys, Minshew was 12th. Um, so that might be a bit of a concern. So that is that's going to be something you'd be interested, especially in this in this practice setting. And sometimes it's not always the best way to see accuracy in this week. I, I think we'll hear it talked about a lot. But when you're working like one on one with some of these receivers who you've never really worked with, I'm not always sure that accuracy is is the best tell of things you can get from these practices and workouts. No. I think the biggest thing is just how do they respond to, even though it's a vanilla system, a new system, and working with guys they've basically never met before, or you know, a few of them had, but just completely new teams thrown together over the course of a week. And you can see things in practice you know, mechanically, how a quarterback's footwork is, what his release looks like, that sort of thing, but also just how they deal with the realities of having to lead people you just met. Yeah, I think there's there's going to be some very just grand takeaways from from this week that that maybe we should just kind of temper a, a little bit and just kind of let let things happen and see how the whole process really plays out but i, I think if if we're going to continue to talk about quarterbacks i think we have to go a little more into depth on on daniel jones from duke who uh, is probably going to be someone the giants like quite a bit like you said at duke coach by David Cutcliffe, who works uh, very closely with the Mannings. And he also has the quarterback size that probably someone like Dave Gettleman would would like. He's listed at 6'5", 220. Um, He's got a big arm, but he's another one who has that big arm, but not necessarily accurate on deep routes. So I know we've we've talked about this. I think we've brought him up on a couple podcasts. Uh, He's not someone... I am going to be in love with, but I could see the NFL uh, being a uh, very enticed by. Oh yeah, we talked about him. I think uh, quite quite a bit back on back when we took our first look at the quarterback class with Mark Schofield, and Mark did a piece just this week for Big Blue View, looking 
specifically the quarterbacks in the senior bowl and he has daniel jones ranked fourth yeah i found that real interesting yes you know it, he's got him his ranking is will greer drew Locke, gardner Minshew, and then daniel jones then terry jackson ryan finley jared Sidham, and trace mcsorley which the last four we haven't gotten to yet but we'll probably touch on them before we're, we move on to some of the other positions yeah, so when when we first talked to to Mark uh, about the quarterbacks, I I brought up Jones and and t- asked him to sell me on Jones without you know saying big and and strong arm and I mean he did, but it I, I don't want to talk for Mark and we're going to absolutely have him on the podcast again to talk about some people, but it kind of looks like the more he dug into him, the the less good he really felt. But he, I guess I can just read his. It's just kind of overview of Jones in the ranking uh, that he's a perfect West Coast quarterback and he might end, be, end up drafted in the first round, but his mechanics, his inconsistency throwing deeper downfield and processing speed on non-West Coast designs uh, have him slotting Jones fourth. So, I mean, that's that's interesting because I think you're going to hear Jones a lot in, in the first round because I think there is absolutely an opening and a need and a want for there to be like a, a QB3 in this class. Um, so I, I really think that is what this week is going to be about. I think everyone is going to want someone to be in that position. Uh, but I, I just think for, for Jones, I'm... Personally, I just I just don't see it. Um, his marginal efficiency, which from Football Study Hall is basically just success rate above expectation, was one of the worst um, in this class of the the fourteen guys I have here. It was eleventh. Um, it was barely over zero. His accuracy uh, again is not not great. And there were just some like full games of Jones just watching where it's just it completely blows your mind um, what he did. But again, it, this is uh, going to absolutely be one of those traits versus production type things because he has the build and I guess the, the physical tools of what you're looking for. And as a big guy, he's a, he's a decent runner. I think when they were, they were playing North Carolina, he did not have a good passing game, but he kept Duke in the game because of his legs and he can run. I know he's not going to be Kyler Murray, but I think you see even just a decent ability for a quarterback to run can help when a quarterback is struggling to throw the ball. Uh, so he had some of those games. So I, I'm going to be very interested about his week. Yeah, the, I haven't gotten to do my deep dive on Jones yet, but that will be coming. From what I've seen, just kind of, kind of watching him in, a, in an overview type way, is that when he's accurate, he does show good placement, but he is just not consistently accurate, which I think... I think goes to the inconsistent mechanics that Mark was talking about, but he absolutely does pass the eye test. And I think you can cherry pick enough really good throws where scouts can get excited over his build and his arm and his running ability. And you can sell the owner on his pedigree and coaches can say, I can work with that. And that's usually how these guys wind up getting drafted in the first round because basically everybody's 
job is on the line every year and they don't want to take a chance on somebody who doesn't have the obvious tools to succeed that's how somebody like russell wilson can fall to the third round even though anyone with eyes could see that he was going to be an excellent quarterback yeah and we just still don't know exactly what scouts are going to continue to look for what executives are going to continue to look for uh, when when they're going after these quarterbacks i mean you you still see guys like you'll see jones but the guys like josh allen last year who was not particularly productive at all but he was gigantic and had a huge arm uh so a lot of people fell in love with him and he went very early in the first round so i think on on the josh allen thing we can talk about i think the one other guy who's maybe worth talking about i'm not sure if the quarterbacks on the bottom of this roster are really worth discussing but tyree jackson of buffalo uh, fits in that josh allen mold he is absolutely gigantic he's listed at 67 245 he has that massive arm um but uh 55.3 completion rate which in college is very bad you know low you know marginal efficiency which again is just success rate above average um but marginal explosiveness which is like expected points uh, above expectation he is huge there so he's very inaccurate but has huge splash plays that are very exciting and he can also move and at 6'7 245 when you have a guy like that who can move um that is that uh, something that's fun to watch uh, but again if you're just looking at the, you know how he produces consistently as a quarterback uh, it is not very well so when i go through that the on target uh, rankings of all these routes. Jackson uh, finished the 14th of 14 uh, and very easily. He was toward the bottom on on a bunch of, of different routes. Bad on the curl, he's bad on the post, the, the fade and the seam. Like these, these are types of throws that uh, he should be making if he's going to be an NFL quarterback and just that is not able to make consistently. And I, th- I think that is going to be a part of the conversation about him uh, and I think we've said this before we're probably going to talk about Tyree Jackson the way we should have talked about Josh Allen last year of just a guy who's huge has a lot of tools but they're just never consistently put together yeah absolutely and it honestly would not surprise me just looking at Jackson if he winds up measuring bigger than he is listed because he even standing behind offensive linemen, he looks big. Like his, maybe it was just the Buffalo uniforms. His legs look like, and I've said this back when we were talking to Mark. He, he he looks like he's got Wilt Chamberlain's legs from way back in the day with those little short shorts and everything. He is just ginormous and that will get scouts drooling and, he can absolutely throw the ball through a brick wall. The only problem is he may or may not be intending to throw the ball at the wall at the time. He might be intending to throw a seven-yard slant and misses and throws the ball through the back of the stadium. 
Yeah, so that's you know, not exactly what you would be hoping for yeah, in, yeah, in a quarterback prospect. So I think we can move on from the quarterbacks. I mean, some of these other guys are just, I'm not totally sure you know, how much they're worth talking about right now. So I think let's let's move on. Just touch on a couple guys. We're going to be back later in the week and, and break down what we've kind of seen and heard from these practices. So we're just going to give a quick overview. So let's just jump into maybe like one or two guys who you're just kind of excited or interested to see how they'll play during the week. So who would be those guys for you, Chris? Uh, my top one is Sutton Smith from Northern Illinois. Yeah, the powerhouse school right there. But, you know, we've been over this time and time and time again. The Giants need to improve their pass rush. Everybody knows it. Now, a lot of that, as you have pointed out, will come from improving their pass coverage, but also having just a speed rusher who can just straight run past offensive tackles will help too, because... Sometimes you need you need somebody who throws a heater to get the strike out. And that's Sutton Smith. He's undersized. He he's only listed at 6'1, 237. He looks more like a big defensive back than a linebacker. But he's basically Hassan Reddick. He has he put up over the last two years just absolutely stupid numbers at Northern Illinois. Over the last two years, he had 56 and a half tackles for loss and 29 sacks. Also, four passes defensed, six fumble recoveries, three touchdowns, and seven forced fumbles. That's a good career. He'll probably get moved to maybe... They they play a 4-3 defense pretty much exclusively there. He might, like Hassan Reddick did, get moved to either inside linebacker or, or a will linebacker. I want to see how he plays as an off-ball linebacker because he is very quick in a short area. He could have the ability to be an off-ball linebacker with extreme blitzing upside. And if so, we already saw basically that guy get drafted for James Betcher's defense. So just saying, might be a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's the real interesting part of this is he played played on the edge and was very good and very disruptive. Again, yeah, 30 tackles for loss in 2017, 26 and a half in 2018, 15 sacks this year. And those are just incredible numbers. So a very productive uh, pass rusher, but they did announce they're going to move him to an off-ball linebacker at the senior ball. So I would like to see just how he does react to that. I think one of the things about Redick when he was moved there was... Um, they they talked about how how coachable he was and how much he improved um, playing when he switched to linebacker. Uh, and yeah, you see when that transition comes to the pros, I think you have to have probably the the right the coach or coordinator who is going to take a talent like that. And when you had Reddick, who made a similar move, who drafted for James Betcher in Arizona, uh, and he did play, you know, that off-ball linebacker, but he was still rushing the passer on about 50% of the passing snaps. So that was, there was still a, a balance there. So Smith could absolutely be in, in that type of mold. And that is a, 
that's a good player to have in this age of defense where you're getting a little smaller you still want people to to be able to move from sideline to sideline and you want almost every player on the defense to be able to rush the passer in some capacity oh definitely and when you run a blitz heavy scheme like betcher does having guys who could drop back into a zone coverage or come screaming off the edge or up through the A-gap, that's awesome because then the def- uh, the offense never quite knows where the pressure is going to be coming from. Who's coming? Who's dropping? They don't know, so they have to either guess and possibly, hopefully, probably be wrong or try to account for everything, which you just can't do. Absolutely. So he's he's and he was a late add too. He uh, he was not added until I believe Josh Allen pulled out. And Josh Allen, someone we talked about on our Edge show uh, that we uh, were excited to see and are still excited to see. Um, but he pulled out of the Senior Bowl, uh, and Sutton Smith was was the guy they put in. Do you have uh, Do you have anyone else you, you're excited to look at? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I've been talking up the Wisconsin offensive line basically all year long. And, you know, thankfully they've kind of made me not look like a complete idiot and went ahead and were good. So I want to talk about uh, Michael Dieter, or perhaps Dieter, but I think it's Dieter. Uh, He has played three different positions over, I believe, the last three years. He's played tackle, guard, and center. Yeah, he's a very experienced guy, and he's got one of those frames where he can pl- he could probably play center, right guard, or right tackle for the Giants. And you know, Wisconsin offensive lineman, he's powerful. He's used to playing out of a three point stance. He's used to using, we'll say, pro concepts in blocking schemes. He's smart, uses his hands well, plays through the echo of the whistle. He doesn't, he didn't get the uh, kind of the hype that Biotish, who went back to school, or Edwards, who could be one of the first three offensive tackles taken, have gotten. But he's a guy he could probably fairly comfortably pick him on the second day of the draft, maybe even as high as the Giants' second-round pick, and slot him in pretty much anywhere you need help. And personally, I like him better inside than outside because I think he could be an acceptable offensive tackle. He could be an exceptionally athletic interior lineman. That is great, and I think think where we see some of these guys shine in – in the offensive line is is in some of these these individual drills i think sometimes you get to to see stand out a little bit i think these these drills are um i I think when we see some of these one-on-one drills they kind of favor the pass rushers a little bit because the offensive linemen aren't exactly in you know a a natural setting for them to be like blocking these guys really just one-on-one like they do so when you see some guys who are able to thrive in that setting where the drill is not exactly set up for them to succeed that 
that can raise some eyebrows. There's some guys like I think uh, like Ali Marpet was was one of those guys who really stood out in those drills, and and then he was drafted highly um, by the Buccaneers after uh, he played well at Senior Bowl week. Uh, so just looking at these offensive lines in general, uh, I think this is a place where they can stand out. Yep. So who do you got? Who are you looking for? <clears throat> All right, so uh, one of my guys is uh, I'm going to be uh, slightly Homer here, um, and uh, but Rocky Rocky Sin from Temple, uh, dude's just uh, he's a good cornerback. It's fun to watch, just absolutely every week. Um, so he's listed at six two one ninety. So he's he's a bigger guy. He plays on the outside, and he was he was Temple's shutdown corner this year. Um, it, also, two tackles for a loss. Uh, he had two interceptions with 12 pass breakups, three and a half run stuffs. Sports Info Solutions charting had him allowing just over 50% completions, but just 4.1 yards per target. So when you were throwing at Rocky Sin, you were not doing it very well. So he's a guy that I think can can really show something. Um, getting in some of these drills, uh, playing against some of these bigger receivers, I think he's someone who's going to be able to hold up. And, and now that some of the top a corner prospects, I think, when we have like you know, someone like like Bryce Hall from Virginia who decided to go back to school, I, I think maybe an opening for for that day two type corner, uh, especially for the Giants if if they want to possibly go that way. Uh, even though you know the Giants already have Sam Beal in the third round, I, I don't think doubling up on corner is a bad idea. Um, so he he's someone who I think that has the skill kind of went under the radar on on Temple this year, uh, but I think he could potentially have have a really big week. Yeah, and he also wins the name the name game. Uh, he has probably the best name in in the draft, although with the possible exception of Greedy Williams as a defensive back, because you know those guys are always greedy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a A plus all first name team. Um, one other guy I'm interested in looking at is you know, not so much, I think, for the Giants, because uh, if they draft another running back, I think we can all scream and just run around crying. But Tony Pollard from Memphis uh, was just added, I think, like this past week. He, uh, we talked about one of the Memphis backs, and that was... Darrell Henderson, uh, who led college in in rushing, um, but Tony Pollard was more of the receiving back. But his profile is, is really interesting. Uh, so I think we talked about if you listen to our last episode on the running back show, I kind of talked about how the receiving backs, at least in the guys who were getting a lot of carries, just kind of disappeared. Uh, but Pollard is absolutely uh, receiving back. So he had 63 targets and 39 receptions. Uh, what's interesting from him is 48 of those 63 targets came from the slot uh, per the Sports Info Solutions charting. So that's real interesting that he is someone who can be moved around. Um, he still had 78 rushing attempts for 552 yards. Uh, so he was an efficient runner when he wanted to. Um, and then someone, they were able to have him catch the ball, move him around so he could be a piece. You know, if 
even if the Giants wanted to maybe take a late round pick on him, you can use that two back personnel, but still have one back in the backfield, one back in the slot. You're using that as a de facto you know, number three wide receiver or so. So I just think he's an interesting piece that can really be fit into any type of offense. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how they decide to go about using him in the senior bowl and how they go about using him during practices. I think one possibly upsetting thing about that is a Pollard is going to be on the North squad, which is coached by the Oakland Raiders staff and John Gruden. I think he would be considerably more interesting to see how uh, Kyle Shanahan would use him if he uh, was on the South team. I think Shanahan would have loved to, to use uh a big pass catching running back like this. So he's listed at six foot and 208 pounds. So you have a a six foot running back who can catch passes. I think that's something Kyle Shanahan would, would use a lot. So I'd be, I'd be so much more excited to see him on the South team, Uh, but he'll be on the North, but still either way, uh, I'm going to be, be focusing on, on, on how the teams and even the executives and how maybe we talk about someone like that. Who, who is a running back who only had 78 attempts, but was uh, very good in the passing game and one of the few running backs uh, in college football this year um, who's draft eligible who was really used that way. And that's, yeah. that's how the game's going. So I think that is going to be a skill set that's going to translate. Yeah, that will actually be something interesting to see just looking ahead to 2019 and how the game evolves as it does every year. It wouldn't surprise me if we start to see the slot back make a return to NFL offenses. You know, that that's a terminology that goes back to when the run and shoot was first being thought of way back in the 80s. And that kind of player kind of fell out of favor as just became specialized it's either running backs who would catch out of the backfield and then slot receivers who would basically play in the slot now with guys like alvin kamara and christian mccaffrey and we'll say the way saquon barkley probably should be used more often you know running backs who can move between running back and slot receiver freely on any particular down and distance it's kind of like how the H-back role has morphed and changed. That I think that's just kind of one of the things about the game that's going to be interesting to follow and see what happens. Yeah, it is. And I think when you, when you talk about someone like Kamara, I, I, we don't want to put anyone in the Kamara you know, mold because Alvin Kamara is is who he is because he's very good. Uh, But I think when you see like the Saints use uh, players like Ingram and Kamara on the field at the same time, uh, and they can... They can play different roles, but still, you still have a guy who can rush and you have a guy who can be out in the slot. So I just think that makes it so much more dangerous. And and that, I really think that's that's where offenses could be going with, with some of these backup running backs. So, so I, I do want to see if that is a trend that gets embraced here uh, this week. 
So, but that is, those are really my two guys. There, there are more, I think, from, from both sides, from both of us. Um, oh, but, <laughs> of course. But we're going to continue to talk about the Senior Bowl um, on our show at the end of the week. And we'll just kind of be, be recapping what we've seen and heard at these practices um, and really what's coming out of Mobile this week. So then we'll get a little more in-depth on, on some of these players and what's been going on. Um, so I think we'll end this one here and then just recap everything at the end of the week. Uh, so... So that'll be it for this show. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please follow us on all the social media places that you can. Um, at BigBlueView.com, at BigBlueView on Twitter, at Big underscore Blue underscore View on Instagram. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.